What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Josh Shrinko, and we are going remote on the other side of the virtual desk in Smalley Talk Studio B. It's Christian Vaughn. What's up? What's up, dude? We're freaking, we're freaking remote right now because Josh's sister from California came in. <laughs> the China virus everybody. Te- that's, that's right. <laughs> Technically, all people from California are carriers. So <laughs> that's true. Well, it is a liberal disease. It only affects liberals. Exactly. That's what I found out. That's that's based on my research that I've done scientifically. So, if you would not have voted for Joe Biden in the last election, you most likely <laughs> would not even be worried about it right now. Probably wouldn't be a concern. No, you, uh, yeah, so uh, waiting on the COVID test, I no symptoms or anything, but had an exposure, so got to play it safe. We're responsible. We're responsible every once in a while, you know? Like, <laughs> Dude, what are you doing to make sure that you don't have it? Are you, like, every hour, like, like I don't know, like, licking, like, a... Hershey's bar or something. <laughs> like, <I'm> <laughs> Honestly, dude, I haven't even. I, I literally haven't thought two minutes about it. Besides the fact that I can't go, like, see people. I mean, I literally am like, whatever. So, yeah. I did see you two days ago. So if you have it, I probably. We did make out very, swap. very briefly. <laughs> it was a quick sesh. Quick just a quick spit in the mouth. See you later. Baby, baby birded me, and then I went on my way. Yeah, I make out with so many people, I just forgot about that. So I, I didn't think to yeah. mention it to you. Um. <laughs> it, did, it did seem like you were very, like, not really connected. Just business, you know? Like, your tongue really wasn't shooting into my mouth like it normally does. Yeah, it just but wasn't feeling like, quite right, but... Um, so, uh, so we're going to do our second installment of the Smallmouth 101 series. Um, the last one got quite a bit of good feedback. We got some criticism though. Got, we got some fair, some fair criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I was in complete agreement with the things that we got criticized for. Some loyal, some loyal dogs, some loyal freaking wet boys reached out. Uh, through the interwebs and said, you guys were very, very naughty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt felt a little bad. So we're going to spend the first part of this kind of talking about some, I would call them retractions maybe, or uh, revisions, clarifications, however you want to put it, with our, the first episode. Um, And then, uh, and then we'll get into, we're going to do an episode on fishing lines, the most exciting subject you could possibly think of when it comes to fishing. So, <laughs> fly lines. Well, lines, fly lines. I, I actually think people may have heard that. I'm like, oh my god! Like, I do not need to learn anything about. I know everything there is to know about lines. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Like, people don't <laughs> because I see people doing stuff. You know, one of the like telltale signs of 
somebody using ink lining correctly. Do you ever find like a lure like in the river that's been broken yeah. off oh, and it has like fifty right <laughs> it's like fifty pound test like braid yeah, on, like it or, line on it or Yeah, I'm like, what the hell are people using? Um so how did you even put this through the eyelet on the lure? Like how did you even do it? <laughs> well and I'll tell you the uh for me, like just like over the years, my understanding of what certain lines are for when to use them pound test all that stuff has changed even in like last five years i've changed i've settled on different types of lines so i think there's going to be a lot of useful information albeit it won't be the most exciting thing to talk about in the world fly line i feel like has a whole different um it's a lot deeper a lot more layers to it than the conventional stuff so you'll probably dominate this episode like you always dominate me so I'm I'm okay with that though. <laughs> such a, such a stop, dude. <laughs> um, but before we get to that though, um, we both have been out fishing uh, since our last episode. So um, uh, yeah. if you one, if one. you would call it that, I think between both of us, we caught zero fish. So yeah. you know we're really good. And, and I'll go ahead and use this opportunity to remind the listeners that there is no bar for entry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you may be sitting there thinking, "Well, these guys obviously know everything about swimmers." There you go. There's no bar for injury. We could be anybody. Yeah, I know. It, it it'll humble you a little bit. I did a, I did fish. Uh, went out with Nathan Pickering and fished a spot that. I I will say this: he was hyping it up like big time, and. Uh, well, he's a bona fide local donkey wrangler. So. I know he was he was hyping it up. He was he was hyping it up big time, and I was gonna go to my spot, and he couldn't make it, so I kind of relented because I don't like going out in the wintertime by myself personally. Um, I'll do it every once in a while, but just a little little dangerous. Um, but I uh, went with him, and he was like apologizing all over himself. He's like, "Dude, I'm so sorry." He's like, "This spot's only let me down one other time," and I was like, "It's okay, dude." I was like, "It was like 29 degrees out." <laughs> it was. <laughs> you guys went on a really cold day too, didn't you? Oh yeah, dude. It was uh, pretty cold. Um, got a, got the pedal drive, the new kayak out for the first time, and you know, fumbled through that. Th- thing it's not easy to <laughs> it's not easy to use a pedal drive specifically in the winter when you're trying to hold a position without an anchor uh in like a tiny little area it was it was uh i, I about took a uh went, went in the water once yeah it was just not the greatest trip in the world um but it didn't catch any fish so that's about the end of that story what about you chris christian <laughs> you, what would you do well, i had a question for about about the pedal drive like yeah did you feel like you had, like you could definitely go way upstream with that thing, no problem? That was the one thing that um, I noticed with it is going upstream was like easy. Like, yeah, hundred percent. I could, I if there's enough depth, I could have, I could have uh, pedaled upstream two miles and then floated back down, no problem. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, great capability, really. I mean, yeah, that's like yeah, for one sure. Of the big attractors to like the the jet boat, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Go upstream. Um, but now like, I can think of a specific stretch that you would use that on, like really easily. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, where there's like a dam, 
there's like a dam that's like a half a mile up from the put in. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, the, uh, the one downside to it, well, not the one downside, but, uh, I was floating back down river with it down in the water and, uh, found out that it, it will stop if it hits a rock. So, <laughs> and, um, and, and I just see at the end of, by the end of the year, if that thing isn't like impaled, in your butt, <laughs> Oh dude. Well, I was standing up, like looking at the, you know, trying to look in the water and I had that thing down, dude. And it, it, it took me from about, you know, three or four miles an hour going downstream with current to zero. And I almost got ejected. I got ejected in the front hatch. So, uh, you almost I, pulled a crisp, dude. I know, dude. It was fully, uh, fully ejected. Yeah, it, it was bad. But um, so you got the you got the the jet boat. Uh, I don't. Did you have possession of it the last episode? I can't remember. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I took it out. Um, it was kind of its first fishing trip. I mean, although we we only got to fish for about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. So. Just wanted to run it just to see, you know, what it was like. Um, I ran on the maiden voyage, but we had our kids with us, so I really, you know, didn't. And I didn't have the, you know, we didn't run the trolling motor at all. Like, it, we had the kids with us. So I just wanted to pretty much run it and see, test it, you know, get on a spot, see what it felt like to move it around, and, um, you know, without a high-pressure situation. You wanted was, to see what it felt like on awesome. a sandbar? Is that is that what else you wanted to see what it felt like? <laughs> I didn't run into ground, uh, the, uh, but, but weirdly enough, like when we were out there, we got to the boat ramp at like, I don't know, like 1030. Uh, no, it was about 10. And like, there were already five cars there. So, oh, wow. Like, oh my gosh. We got some other fishermen out on the water and I ended up getting out there and they were all duck hunters. Kind of forgot duck hunting is like going hard right now. Yeah. So there are people shooting ducks all over the place and then on our way back down but jeremiah caught one fish one spot um in the time we were fishing so on our way back downstream like we were driving past this guy and he had ran his boat all the way up off like out of the water like as a duck hunter Ooh! it was like literally every inch of that boat was like up on the sandbar and uh it was like a sandbar like right in the middle of the river or whatever (laughs) so we had to end up we got out dug this guy out like we had to dig a trench Oh wow! Out. And uh, it was him and his son, and it was getting ready to start raining. So Jeremiah and I stopped because we didn't want these guys to get caught out there. Um, but anyways, it, it was a good trip, man. Uh, we just running the boat was awesome. It felt great. Everything, you know, everything went fine. Uh, you know, already getting some of the maintenance issues. Like there's already some wiring issues that I need to deal with, and it's kind of like. It's already started, you know, with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that comes with the territory. You know, you get a boat with yeah. a motor, and, you know, you got, you'll have things break and got to fix things. So, you know, part of it, yeah. but. Well, I've never owned, I've never owned a boat like this before. So I kind of knew that this was coming. I, I anticipated it, but like, it, like the little things are like really puzzling me. Like, I had a, one of my sump pumps, or one of my. Bilge uh, pumps? My bilge pumps just stopped working. Yeah. Randomly. Yeah, that's not. Mine doesn't work on mine right now either, so that's a whole. So it's like, what the hell happened? Now I got to, like, figure that out. It's probably a fuse. If I had to guess. Probably, but I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, I know enough to make me, like, really dangerous with all that stuff. But anyway, so that's that's what's going on. It was awesome. 
just to get out of the boat, just to run it. It felt great. That thing was like straight scream with just two guys in it. Yeah, you're like definitely. I'd ever want to go. You're definitely gonna be able to beat me in a race. So you got a what thirty you know, horsepower on me. Big of a difference. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it'll be that big of a difference though. So we'll see. If I keep mine light, I think it'll be okay. Um, I'm gonna do all aluminum I, decking and stuff, so that should be be okay. So it was negligible. I mean. Uh, like I like I've been in yours. I've been in mine. The notice is it's like the difference is negligible. I don't think you'll really jump in and be like, oh, this is a rocket. You know, I mean, it's it's really not that big of a deal. But but anyway, it felt great. So let's let's get into this one hundred and one, this one hundred and one stuff here. The things that we want to correct on the last episode. And if you didn't listen, the last episode was uh, one hundred and one episode geared towards uh, rods. So we talked a little bit about rods and reels and kind of what the beginner should look at purchasing to kind of advance themselves. Or if you're just starting to get interested in uh, smallmouth fishing, we put some stuff out for you too. But like, uh, like we kind of said at the beginning of the episode, we had some criticism, which was all, I think, fair. I mean, definitely the things that people sent me were like, hey, you missed this or you know, what are you talking about with this? And, and they were, you know, kind of right on. So, uh, Josh, what, what kind of things did you, you said you had some things you wanted to revise? Yeah. So I had two main things that I wanted to kind of clarify a little bit. So one of them, I just failed to mention, it's just a quick one, but, uh, when real size, um, on the spinning reel. So that's something that I think some guys, sometimes guys get wrong um they'll go too big or too small um on, on those rod selections that i was referring to those rod sizes and actions i like a 2500 so that's usually what i've um kind of settled on it's a good you know mid-size reel it's not too big has enough line capacity to to handle a big fish um but uh yeah that's so that's a real easy one big thing like with the sizes Right, because there's like a 1500 size. Well, I think there might even be a smaller size than that. But generally speaking, it's like there's 1500, 2500, and 3500. And and basically, the big difference is the strength of the drag and the amount of line that it'll that'll hold. Right. Yeah, it's like the the frame size. Yeah, and the, your spool size is going to be uh, correlated to the frame size. So yeah, you're everything's just smaller, you know, on the, the smaller, you know, lower numbered reels. And I have used the 1500 with success, but I feel like it's just a little too small. Um, a 2500 or 2000, their manufacturers differ between their like, uh, like categories of sizing, but a 2500 is, is about where I've settled. I think a 3000 is too big. I've seen some guys use those a little too heavy, um, just a little too much reel for the size of rods I was talking about. Now, if you wanted to size up to a medium heavy spinning setup, you'd probably want a 3000, but I, you know, I don't see any reason to do that unless you just can't throw a bait caster. But anyway, so that is a really easy, like uh housekeeping thing. The, the other thing I wanted to clarify on, we did talk about by kind of as dismissive of it a little bit um, was like, ultra economy setups um 
and I wanted to, I, I guess I want, I didn't want anybody to feel like I was isolating them because they couldn't afford, you know, a specific, you know, a certain level of a setup because here's the thing you can catch fish. If you, if you had 60 bucks to spend and you got to go to Walmart and get a combo for 60 bucks, like you'll catch fish on it. And, and you know, you can use that just fine and you would probably be okay. It would make things a little more difficult in certain situations, um, but you could get it done. And I, I think overall the important thing to communicate f- for me was that like the most important thing is you're out there fishing, right? So whatever budget you have, like get the best equipment you can afford and go out there. The reason I was recommending kind of like a base level setup at the $200 range was specifically from my experience I feel like the value that you get going to a setup at that price you're getting a huge jump in quality in warranty and really just like um like uh, durability as well yeah durability quality which you know durability is relative right like everybody's like oh you can't break an ugly stick well you also can't feel a catfish pick up a spinnerbait on an ugly stick either. So, you know, sensitivity is like, you know, so you're balancing all those things out. And at that $200 range, I feel like with a rod and a reel, you can really take a really big jump in quality at that $200 range. And then from there, you're, you're getting kind of negligible gains. So at the $200, the difference between a $50 combo and a $200 combo is like big time. Um, like, like it's like anything else, like baseball bats or golf clubs or anything like that, that kind of $200 range, you're going to be able to get a quality setup that you're going to be able to do a lot with. It's going to be sensitive, good warranty, durable, all that stuff. And then when you start getting into 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, you're taking a lot smaller steps in my opinion. Um, but at a certain level with a fisherman, you appreciate those steps, but I think at that two hundred dollar range, if you can afford it, I think it's worth spending that two hundred bucks. I guess. Um, does that does that make sense, Chris? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I think what you're saying is that yes, like there are we understand that we're sympath- and we're empathetic, we're sympathetic to the position that somebody might be in where they say two hundred dollars just isn't feasible for me right now. Does that mean I shouldn't fish? And to that, yeah, absolutely not. There are good options out there. You know, Berkeley lightning rod, you know, is, I mean, I know people that still use them. I, you know, uh, that have used them for years, you know, so it's, you know, there are situations where that's, that's the case. I think your overall theme was, you know, the relative value that you get out of these $200 setups outweighs the short-term economic benefit that might come along with a burning berkeley lightning rod yeah it's just like it's like yeah, anything yeah. else it's like and whether I, you you know but just to put it out there that's that's a good clarification to make so yeah it's i mean it's like if you have to drive somewhere right you know like could you go buy a 500 hundred dollar car and get to work for a year yeah probably yeah you could but like there's a base level of car it makes more sense to spend five thousand dollars and get something that'll last you for five years and you're not going to be worrying about maintenance and all that it's the same same type of thing but like i said i mean i'm sure there's lots of guys out there that could go get a 50 dollar combo and outfish me you know with uh it's not going to necessarily yeah 
make you a better fisherman. I will say this. Be the the difference between an ultra economy and a a hundred a two hundred dollar setup, it will make you it will give you an advantage. Let's put it that way. Because when you're especially if you're fishing with finesse and stuff, the ability to feel those bites and that's very important. And I've fished with some like crappy gear like out of necessity before like I had to rent a fishing pole when I went to California because I was trying to catch a smallmouth in California unexpectedly stayed at a lake and I was like "Ooh, there's smallmouth in here and I got Ned rigs from the little bait shop and I like remember I like if a smallmouth would literally have to like run off at this thing for me to feel it like it was such a like crappy rod and I was like, you know, there is a there's a difference there. So that's all I had on that. I just didn't want people to feel like we were being, you know, elitists with that. You know, it's like, hey, get, get what you can afford, obviously. But if you do have the option of spending a little bit more, that $200 baseline is kind of where I feel like you're getting the best bang for your buck. So anyways, Chris, what yeah. about what about well, you, man? I had, uh, so I had one specifically i guess or one section where i just must have like my brain must have just turned off when we started talking about reels um i sort of i mentioned sealed drag and i think it's because you kept saying sealed drag during your portion and it just stuck in my mind you can't really buy a 40 dollar sealed fly drag or fly reel you know a 40 dollar like fly reel with a sealed drag you just can't do it so uh, what I was meaning to say was disc drag. So uh, you can buy a 40 to $50 disc drag reel. You know, that's what I recommend, Some you know, something in that range, you know, especially if you're just getting started. So like a Reddington Crosswater would be a good example. And then there's some Amazon brands like Pisifun, P-I-S-C-I-F-U-N, not what you think it is. I checked. I misspelled it one time, took me to a weird website. <laughs> but, um, and then the other one is uh, the Echo Base itself actually has a fly reel. So you can buy like a, like a package on Amazon, and that's actually a pretty decent reel as well. So, um, you know, and any, I think most of like the baseline level, like from TFO, they have like a, like a first level. Uh, the Reddington uh, Path. I think is like their first level fly rod. And then the echo base is the echo one. You know, they all can like be sold in a combo. Um, so, you know, buying those are, that's actually a good, a good value. It might come with a trout line, you know, but that trout line will be fine. You'll be, you know, you'll be okay using that. So, you know, you can look at the Amazon outfits for echo base, uh, Reddington path, you know, TFO has one as well. So, you know, don't don't be alarmed by the fact that it comes with the trout line. And we'll talk a little bit more about line, you know, in this episode. But uh, and then one one other thing is like I didn't really explain this, but like when you buy these Reddington, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Rio or, you know, Scientific Anglers or Cortland, when you buy the fly line itself, um, the fly line will actually be weighted to the same weight as your fly rod. So like you'll buy a fly, a six weight fly line will go with a six weight fly rod. So that's, is that a pretty hard and fast rule? I, no, I mean, there are people like when you get a little bit more technical, you know, you can overload fly line, you know, fly reels, you know, you might think, 
uh, will this rod really cast like a eight weight or whatever you can upsize your line to get a little bit more distance or whatever but i still use the same weighted line as my rods so like i have six weight line on all my six weights seven weight line on all my seven weights um and how you can kind of read that is and this kind of is a good segue into the the line episode i guess but uh it'll say wf like on the little label it'll say wf that means weight weighted forward. forward. Oh, okay. A, gotcha. Yeah, weighted forward. And then there'll be a number. So, like, say if you're buying a seven-weight line, you'll look for a WF, weight forward, seven, and then it'll either say F, I, or S, and then there are some numbers maybe after S on occasion. So the, those stand for weight forward, seven, weight, floating is F. Weight forward, seven, I is intermediate. And then weight forward 7S is a sinking line. So that's that's uh, kind of probably a good – and those are the only two real things that I thought of. You know, I'm sure that there are other things that I said that people would probably disagree with. But, you know, if you're disagreeing with me on these types of things, the episodes, you know, are for you. Definitely listen. But they're kind of to get people pointed in the right direction so that's why we also feel the need to kind of go back and correct some of this stuff because, you know, the people to whom these episodes, these 101 episodes are going to be geared are kind of people who don't really know. So they're listening to the episode to kind of, you know, advance themselves, advance their knowledge and to either buy something or to try and learn about the sport or whatever. So we, we feel the need on these 101 episodes to be a little bit more dogmatic in our approach to sort of ensuring the accuracy of the information that we're putting out. So, right. uh, you know, hopefully we get this, this, this one a little bit straighter, a little bit tighter and we should, you know, straight and tight. That's how we like them, dude. <laughs> well, you know, as long as they're tight, you know, <laughs> we, we, it doesn't have to be straight. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be preferably, but, uh, but anyway, you know, on these uh, on this first one one, we recorded a back to back episode, so that we may may have been a little fatigued on that, and we had recorded the night before that as well. But no excuses. Uh, but anyways, let's let's jump right on into the lines. Uh, Josh, why don't you kind of give us an outline of what what we mean by line? You know, the categories of it, and then we can just kind of get into it. Yeah, sure. So. Um... Conventional stuff is going to be a lot less, uh, a lot less to unpack than fly line. Uh, it's really, you know, when you talk about fly line, there's all, you know, you have your line is basically an extension of your rod or your reel, and that's Chris will get into that. Um, fly or conventional line is basically, you know, you have a, a rod and a reel, and then your line is spooled onto that, and that physically, you know, you're using. Um, the uh, rod completely to cast this line out. Your line doesn't have anything to do with the, like, um, you know, casting power that you have. Um, and then you have a direct drive reel. Um, so really the line is just a connection between, you know, your uh, reel, rod and reel, and then the lure that you have out there. Um, so, Generally, I generally there are three categories of line. Now there are other uh, there are other categories. There's like hybrids and stuff. But for 
beginning sake, beginner sake, I'm going to break it down to three categories. You're going to have braid, you're going to have monofilament, and you're going to have fluorocarbon. So that's going to be like your three main categories of line. Um, and again, BMF. braid, BMF. BMF. Yes, that's <laughs> very appropriate. Um, that's a good, good way to remember that. Um, so braid, mono, fluorocarbon. And those are kind of like, like I said, there are probably other t- types of line. Um, but those are the three main categories. Now within those categories, there are different types like braid. You're going to have, uh, you know, a four strand, a six strand, an eight strand. Um, you're going to have, um, there's all kinds of qualities and brands and, and you're getting into like a bunch of stuff, but we're going to keep it pretty simple here. Um, so, uh, I guess my first turn, I'm going to talk about. Um, what I use primarily, and that's braid. Is that is that cool? If we do that, Chris. Yeah. No. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about braid, um, and like I said, that's primarily what I use. So uh, braid is, um, I would say, a, a more of a modern line. Uh, monofilament was uh, what I used growing up as a kid, and it's. I think you know, you go back 20 years, everybody used monofilament for everything. Um, but I think over the years, it's transitioned to more braid has become probably the more common thing that people have spooled up if you look at bass fishing in general. Um, I use braid on just about everything uh, from spinning to uh, bait casting setups. And really, you know, you talk about different qualities and brands and stuff. There are some really bad, <laughs> I've had some bad experience with braids like breaking and snapping um, bad quality stuff, but in general, like if you go spend, you know, uh, it, it's definitely worth spending a, a little bit of money on, on your braid and you're looking at like a spool of 150 yards, probably anywhere around like the $15 to $25 range for a spool of that size. Personally, I use power pro braid. Um, I use the, uh, super slick and I think it's an eight strand braid. So what that means is that um, it literally is eight strands of smaller diameter cordage that are braided together into one strand. Um, whereas like a four strand braid would be four strands braided into one strand. And the difference really is the, um, more strands you get for me, it casts better cause it's smoother. So it's smaller diameter strands packed into the same diameter, um, line same pound test so it it casts better um so i have kind of over what what do you what kind of test do you use on your braid well i'll get to that here in a second um but the reason so i use eight i use eight strand braid for spinning setups and if you think about it in this way um so when you are casting a spinning line your line is is kind of rubbing it's coming off the spool uh, like um, off the top of the spool. So it's rubbing against the, the rest of the line as it's coming off of your reel. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I think so, but it's, uh, you know. Yeah, well, if you look at the difference, like a, a spinning reel, is, it's coming off the top and a bait caster is actually unwinding from it as you cast. So 
the fact that it's coming off the top, it's creating more friction on that. And I feel like an eight strand braid works better on a spinning setup because of the friction you're creating. So the slicker surface of that line is gonna it's gonna come off that spool easier, and you know you you can cast further, get less uh, wear on your line. That's just my opinion. I'm okay with a four strand braid for a bait casting setup. So that's from beginners eight strand braid for spinning, four strand braid for a bait casting setup. Pound tests uh, really just depends on what your um, your setups you're throwing. But I've kind of settled on. All my spinning setups, and this ranges from medium light to medium. I don't have anything above a medium. I use 20-pound braid on 20-pound eight-strand braid on all my spinning setups. Some people might think that's a little heavy, um, and it probably yeah. yeah, it probably is for some people, and that's fine. But for me, I can cast well with it, and uh, it uh, but it's strong enough to where I'm not worried that it's gonna you know it's going to break, especially so on a big thing fish. To like keep in mind, you know, for the people just listening, like the people who, you know, only have fished mono or only have fished fluorocarbon in the past, you know, braid is a much smaller in diameter structure. So, yeah. it's, you know, you'll, a 20 pound braid has the same diameter as like, I think eight or six pound monofilament. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at the kind of, uh, I'm looking at a box right now. So twenty is twenty pound braid is supposed to be the equivalent of six pound mono. So, yeah, yeah you're you can string you're right. Twenty pound line onto a regular, you know, twenty five hundred size reel. You know, the full hundred and fifty yards, and you're going to have room. You know, you're going to have room on the reel. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind uh, when it comes to thinking about you know about braid lines specifically. And what are some of the what are you what do you think some of the advantages are? Because you say, and I you know would agree with this that you know it's probably one of the more effective lines for river smallmouth fishing, um, and you use it on almost all your reels. So why? Yeah, I mean, one, it's uh, it's very uh, abrasion resistant. So you can you know you're fishing around a lot of you smallmouth fishing smallmouth and rocks kind of go hand in hand. So you're you're uh, um, you're not constantly having to retie and getting nicks in your line. It's, it's pretty abrasive, abrasive. Um, the, uh, um, the other thing, it just, I, that 20 pound braid is kind of a sweet spot for spinning setups for me. I've tried, like if you did, if you did mono on a spinning setup, which we'll talk about that, you'd have to th- throw like a eight pound test to cast, you know, like I'd say maximum eight to 10. And then you get you throw eight to ten pound test, dude. You a, a nice fish can break you off, like pretty easily. Um, that's just from my style of fishing. It's just too too risky. Um, so, and you know, it cat that eight um, eight strand stuff casts really easily. The only downside is you know to to braid. Um, you know, it's obviously not invisible. You know, it's per, it's fairly it shows up in the water. Um, it's cause it's a solid line. It's not translucent at all. Um, it, um, you know, it's hard to, <laughs> you can't, and this is a good and bad, you can't like cut it easily. Like you have to use some sort of cutting tool 
So I can't tell you how many times I've you been. Just, you can't just snap it with your finger, and it's tough to bite through too. If you're oh yeah, finger. it's almost um, almost impossible. Yeah. So to, just for a safety, from a safety perspective, you know, having something that can cut it, you know, is huge. Another thing to think about is it's, it's a zero stretch line. Yep. So and that's good and bad. Sensitive. That's that's good yeah, and bad, and that's sensitive. Good. No, no, I, no, I was just going to say that you're right. That is good and bad. I mean, it's zero stretch line, so it's extremely sensitive. But at the same time, you know, uh, whenever you're fishing treble hooks, it can result in you losing quite a few, you know, some fish, I guess. You know, because, you know, typically speaking with, with treble hooks, you want kind of a stretch in the line, like with a monofilament or something to kind of drive the hooks in. So it can result in you know, a few more pop-ups, a negligible amount of pop-offs, pop-offs and, you know, fish loss. Um, and then, of course, with the treble hooks, they just hang on braid. I mean, they just hang yeah. on it. And there's so, a and there's a place down, there's a place for monofilament, and I do use it some, but we'll talk about that. But, like, my setups in general all have braid with the exception of one. Now, I do not use, typically use straight braid, and we'll talk about that. I use a leader fluorocarbon leader so we'll talk about that but from a braid perspective i'm 20 pound eight strand braid on all my spinning setups that i have and then my bait casters i will use a four strand braid because it's cheaper um that's probably the main reason and it it doesn't matter as much because of the way it comes off the spool um and i typically use 30 pound tests on my bait casters with one exception I will put 40 pound on my medium heavy setup. So I have 20, 20 on my spinning setups, 30 on my um, bait cast setups besides my medium heavy, and I'll use 40 pound on that one. Um, and the reason being is like that 40 pound tends to perform a little bit better with heavier lures. So uh, if you're using like. You're using. You're using braid for your top water presentations, for your mid column presentations, and for your bottom presentations. And we'll kind of talk a little bit, you know, through you know which presentations you don't use it for, and and kind of your leader setups um, later on. But you are using this for every, you know, bottom, middle, and top, right? I'm using it for every single thing besides crankbaits. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we'll talk okay. about the crankbaits, but yeah, so that's it. And then I use Power Pro, just the standard Power Pro, for my casting setups, and that, that stuff has always been, um, you know, reliable to me. Um, and uh, it tends like you'll you'll notice like you put braid on, it lasts basically a full season unless you get a rat's nest. Um, so it's a pretty like durable line too and the one downside too with spinning that i didn't get to is it does it doesn't like when something's twisting your line so if you get like something that's a lure that's kind of turning over um you'll get like knots in it um or if you're casting in the wind you get wind knots and uh, that can be (laughs) you know picking out a backlash with a uh braid is is not fun so um, yeah, that, uh, that, sure. that's a downside to it for sure. But overall, I think for me, it's just a superior line overall for, for probably 90% of what I do. So anyways, so that's the, my braid thing, Chris, uh, go ahead and hop on the, the first yeah, fly so line. 
So we don't really have, we don't really use braid. I mean, well, maybe some people do. I don't know, but I don't, you know, for our leaders. So I figured what I would do is I would talk through the leaders um, whenever Josh covers monofilament, monofilament and fluorocarbon, which are both leader materials and tippet materials that we use in the fly world. So, um, but so for right now, I figured what I would just cover is fly line, just kind of the things that I didn't talk about last time, you know, other than brands, kind of the categories of it. I think I may have even mentioned these in the last episode, but generally speaking, there are three types of fly line. So there's a floating line, and, and of course, there are sub variations and, you know, br- you know, proprietary things about, you know, whatever. But I'm just going to cover this, like I said, at the 101 level. So uh, there's floating line which is line that will essentially stay on the surface of the water uh, and that kind of gives you some advantages you know when you're fishing in shallow water or say if you're fishing like a top water presentation or whatever and and generally speaking like the floating line is sort of like your default position I guess like you can use like use floating line you know there are a lot of people that don't even use intermediate or sinking lines. Like people just use floating lines. So speaking, you know, in the fly world, you're talking about a floating fly line. Um, You know, it's, it's uh, kind of like a nylon core. And then, you know, essentially when it comes in a pack, it'll come coiled up. And what you'll do is you'll tie your backing, which is the first thing that goes on a fly reel. You know, it's like a, that's like braid. So that's what you we use it for. We use it as backing on your fly reel. So you'll reel like a, a hundred yards of of you know this backing onto your reel. It's like twenty pound braid, um, and then you tie that onto the looted the welded loop on the one end of the fly line. So each end of the fly line, generally speaking, at least with modern fly lines, have welded loops. So they're essentially just circles, you know, that are welded onto the end of each. Uh, end of the fly line and you tie the backing onto one end and then you put your leader onto the other end. So on the, on the end that's closest to your lure um, is where you'll tie your leader. And then on the, on the opposite end is where you'll tie it to your backing and it'll be deep, you know, under a hundred yards of fly line on your fly reel. So, so essentially fly line is kind of structured like somewhat thin, um, you know, at least weight forward fly line that we use in, in the smallmouth world, you know, is, is somewhat thin where you tie it onto your backing on your fly line. And then it'll get kind of thicker, thicker and heavier the closer it gets to the area where you tie on your, your uh, leader material. So that allows, you know, that weight forward is what allows you to get more distance with your cast and it allows you to easily kind of turn over these bigger flies that we use for smallmouth. So that, that forward weight and the weight of the fly line is really how you cast a fly rod. It's, it's unlike conventional gear where you use the weight of the lure to cast. Uh, in the fly world, you use the weight of the line to cast. And the, the lure or the fly is kind of just secondary. So, so anyway, that's, that's the first category is, is floating. And that's all the lines are kind of structured that same way. So floating lines, intermediate lines, sinking lines are all kind of structured in that same way. So there's a welded end at one, a welded loop at one end where you tie the backing of the fly reel on, and then there's a welded loop at the other end where you have the leaders that goes up to the fly. Uh, all of them are kind of structured that way. So there's a floating one, there's an intermediate 
uh, a full intermediate line, and that line sinks at about two, three inches per second. So, like we've talked about this before on past episodes, but like an intermediate fly line will kind of sink below the surface. So that way, whenever you kind of move your lure back to you and move your fly back to you, there's no surface disruption. So it's underneath the surface of the water. It's a little stealthier. And for certain types of flies, that's a really solid, you know, solid way to pair it. So like for a game changer, a suspending fly, an intermediate fly line is really good because it sinks below the surface of the water and allows a little more play in the fly. Uh, But it doesn't sink so fast that it's going to sit on the river bottom, Uh, which moves us on to our next category of lines, which is sinking. Uh, And a lot of times, like it'll say WF, so weighted forward, 7, S for sinking, and then it'll have a, a number. Generally speaking, that number is how many inches per second the fly line is supposed to sink. So, you know, if you're fishing like a lake and you want to drudge the bottom of the lake with your fly, you would buy like a weight forward seven sink S seven, you know, or something like that. That means that the the fly line is going to sink very fast to get to the bottom. So that's kind of, you know, I think. Do you ever use sinking lines, Chris? Like, do you have them on very often? I have intermediates. I have intermediates. I don't have any full sinking lines, um, you know, because I don't really fish lakes that often. Um, If I did, you know, if I fish for walleye or perch or something, I probably would have those. Do you know, do do any guys use sinking lines in the wintertime for smallmouth? I think think so, but the problem with a full sinking line is if it touches bottom, you essentially, you've lost that direct connection. Like when your fly line touches the bottom of the river, you lose that direct connection between your fly rod and the, and the lure. And that will reduce an already reduced sensitivity setup. You know, there's no, there's very little sensitivity with the fly rod anyways, just because of the way they're structured. Uh, but if you have that fly line that touches bottom before your fly does, um, you know, you're not going to have any sensitivity at all. You have no direct connection between your, the tip of your fly rod and the fly itself. So, you know, I would say for river fishermen, it's very rare um, that people use a full sinking line. You know, intermediates a, a lot of times get used for like, um, like I said, suspending flies. And then floating line is what, you know, kind of the workhorse of all the fly line. I mean, it does everything. So if you, cool. and if you only had to buy one fly line, for sure it would be a floating line. So, yeah, that's good to know. I, I was not, was not aware that floating was like the standard. I guess I when I think about it, I always see your fly line floating on top, so it makes sense or most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I use, I use like when I go out, I have three rods always, and I have two with floating lines. So I use the the my bottom setup, uh, you know, like a crayfish fly or something. I use on floating line. On my top water setup, I always have floating line, obviously. Um, and then the, and then I have an intermediate line that I use for like the game changer fly, the Clouser minnow on occasion, I'll use it for that or mostly like non-weighted flies. So like a game changer, a swinging D, you know, a circus peanut, you know, something like that. So, Hmm. okay, cool. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and jump on into monofilament real quick and, uh, and I'll kind of pitch in, you know, where I, where I can. Sure. So monofilament is 
uh, kind of the first type of fishing line that was, um, you know, used, I don't know when it was invented, I imagine a long time ago, but it's a, um, you know, when you think of like, you go and get fishing line when you're a kid at, you know, the bait shop or whatever, trialing, um, what's like the red trialing, I can't remember what what that's oh, called yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah uh, because yeah, there was like red and, and yellow maybe or red and blue um but anyways strand trialing that was like you know growing up that's what everybody used um because it was all that there was and one good one, the one of the characteristic of monofilament that um that the others probably don't have or at least they are catching up to monofilament is castability so monofilament casts really well um it's really soft uh and it's stretchy as well so it's like a soft stretchy line um it's it is a good it floats floats by nature though right i mean it it doesn't it doesn't sink correct yes for instance like if you've ever fished a rubber worm or a ned rig or something you'll notice a coil of or maybe not a coil if you bought low memory line or something, but you know, you'll notice a coil of monofilament sitting, you know, on the top of the water all the way out to where, you know, it sinks to get to the bottom. So Right, yes. Or I mean it does it does float. It's stretchy and uh it's been around for a long time. Yeah, and and for me, um this is the thing. other people will use it in in situations um different than this so this isn't like a universal like this is how you have to use it personally me i only use it on crankbait setups and it's really for one reason it's not because it floats or sinks or it's literally because when you're fishing a um a crankbait and you get a strike if you have um a stiffer line like fluoro or um uh um braid you're gonna rip that treble hook out of their mouth a lot of times you really need for it to be like a soft hook set um and that's also a reason why the rods that we use for crankbaits are moderate action so they're a lot softer rod actually the crankbait rod i have is fiberglass so it's a very very soft rod um so that is what i use monofilament for now i've heard other guys say like any treble hook bait like a, a spook or uh you know popper or anything like that they're like you know i use or swim bait or whatever um they're using monofilament and that's fine that's probably a good reason personally if i'm used top water i like to a braid set up a little bit better and primarily it's because i don't have a dedicated top water rod so i'm not going to change out the line just to throw top water if i was going to do that like if i was going to throw like a spook or a sammy or uh, whopper plopper something like that it probably is a better solution to have monofilament on that um that rod i just don't i use that same rod to do other things with that i think braid does okay um and i'm i so i you just also run the risk of seeing a lot of whopper ploppers go sailing off into the woods yeah because you got yeah because <laughs> that's that's the other thing monofilament is much uh less abrasive resistant so you know, if you are fishing around rocks and stuff, you get a nick. A lot of times you don't know it if you aren't checking your line. And, yeah, your your, your shit will go flying. 
um, had that happen multiple yeah, times. It's a heartbreaker to have a twelve dollar lure, you know, go yeah. sailing off to hook some raccoon in the face. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're, just, we're all we are really. We're conservationists. We're people who care about nature. Exactly, dude. Why. We don't want to. We want to protect the <laughs> raccoon faces. Um, uh, but I mean, really monofilament, there's probably a lot of things you could say about it it, that you could use it for that I don't use it for. So, but it is a really good multi-purpose line. So if you braid and monofilament, both, if you were like, I can only throw one type of line for the rest of my life. I can only afford to buy one spool of line. I mean, they both would work in about anything. So actually, any three of those lines, fluorocarbon, um, braid, or monofilament, you could use it on anything. It's just a matter of like what it's best suited for. And at this point, in uh, as technology has progressed, monofilament for me only has a pretty small place in my arsenal. Um, and that's, that's crankbaits and, and possibly other treble-hooked lures. Besides that, I probably am going to stay away from monofilament. Um, so yeah. And the monofilm I right. use is, uh, Berkeley big game. It's kind of cheap stuff, but it seems to work fine. I haven't noticed any great, uh, improvements in quality. If you go to, um, like a real high end, which I don't even know if they make high end monofilaments, honestly. So, but that's, uh, that's monofilament for me. Um, Chris, what you got next? You're going to go over some leaders. Yeah. So, after you get, you know, go from your fly reel, that connects to, you know, there's backing on your fly reel, which we've already talked about is nylon. Then you'll have onto the welded loop on the back of the fly line, you'll have your, your backing tied onto that welded loop. Uh, you can just use pretty much any knot there, fisherman's knot, whatever, especially for smallmouth. You'll never see that part of your fly line again, probably. Uh, and then you you know, you reel up your fly line and then on the end of the fly line, there's a welded loop, uh, which is, like I said, just a circle on the line, you know, on the very end of it, almost like a, um, you know, on a, on a regular line, it would be just like a, you know, just a, a loop, I guess. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's not really, it's just a circle that you can tie onto. So anyways, on the very end of the fly line towards where your lure is going to be or your fly is going to be, there'll be a circle that you can tie, um, your leader onto so essentially when you buy your fly line and your fly leader because you can buy fly leaders in a pack of like two or three um, from your fly shop or on amazon or whatever and what you'll do is you'll take the circle because there's a there's a tied loop at the end of your leader so you'll take that circle and put it through the circle on the end of the fly line uh, and then you'll put the running end uh, through that loop and cinch it down. So it essentially creates a loop-to-loop connection between your fly line and your fly leader. So fly leaders, generally speaking, uh, are tapered in nature. So on the very on the end that's closest to the fly line, it'll be thicker. And then on the end closest to where the lure is going to be or the fly is going to be, it'll be thinner. And the reason that we do that is because it allows the way that you have to cast with a fly rod, that, that stiffer butt section or the stiffer section of 30-pound line that's closest to your fly line will actually act as like a fulcrum point from which, you know, so when you cast, that stiff area of your fly line will allow you to 
turn over big flies and have good looking casts that project your lure or your fly at the out to the furthest point away from your fly line you know the end point is so you know that tapered thing just allows you to cast bigger flies better essentially so we use monofilament or also known as nylon um that's like the the predominant fly leader material uh we use it i use it for smallmouth for both my top water setups uh and that's pretty much it so i use i use uh, monofilament for just top water um you know or nylon is that just because it just floats then yeah i just use it because it floats and and um you know it'll it has you know varying sizes but like i said i use it i use it just for top water um and we can kind of go through the sizes and these are applicable to both monofilament and fluorocarbon um there's x's so i'm sure that the, the conventional guys have seen the fly leaders and been like you know oh the the x's what is you know what does that mean so generally speaking when you buy your fly leaders uh they'll be nine feet in length that's what you want to buy you know you can buy seven and a half feet leaders you can buy longer leaders i'd say a good starting point is just to buy nine foot leaders and for smallmouth the the thing you want to buy is a zero x one x or two x so the x's uh the higher the x uh the less pound test the line is so for instance like a six x uh, would be about three to four pounds test. Okay, so six x fly line, a six x fly leader material is two to three pounds. Five x is like four to six. Four uh, x is like uh, six to eight, and then uh, you know there's a three x and a two x. Uh, so two x, eight to ten pound test. One uh, x is like nine to twelve. And zero X is like 10 to 14 pounds. You know, depending on what material it is and what, um, you know, you know what specific brand you buy. You know, they're rated for different pound tests. But uh, so what you want to look for for smallmouth: two X, one X, zero X. I always use zero X or one X. I, I there's rarely a situation. You know, maybe in the winter, I guess, you know, where you would want to downsize to a 3X or a 4X. But, I mean, I I don't even like using 2X. I always use a 0X or a 1X leader. Uh, and, you know, the reason that those other X, you know, 6X, 7X, you know, 5X, you know, those fly lines exist is because they're smaller in diameter. And they allow fly fishermen to fish very small flies for trout, essentially. So, you know, the, the small flies have a small hook, which means that they have a small eyelet of the hook. So when you have a 1X line, there's no way it's going to fit through the eyelet on a super small trout uh, fly, like a midge or something. So that's why those things exist. Um, but for smallmouth, we really only care about the 1X, the 2X, and the 0X. And like I said, my recommendation is 0X and 1X, and you can run that on any fly you know, for smallmouth, it doesn't matter. You know, even, you know, when you get into the smaller ones, a 0X or a 1X leader is going to serve you well. And uh, I, what I do typically, because you can buy the fly leaders, um, you know, the monofilament, like the 9-foot 1X or 0X leaders in like a 3-pack. 
so a lot of times, like even when I'm running like a fluoro leader, because I'm, you know, running like a mid water column or a bottom of the water column fly, I'll use the first six feet of the monofilament leader and then just cut that off and tie on like a three, four foot piece of fluorocarbon. So, so anyways, that's what we use it for in the fly world. Hmm. So a lot of, uh, a lot of information there, bud. Um, (laughs) no, no. Uh, it's just not, you know, not in my, uh, forte. So, um, so the couple things I forgot on the monofilament is, uh, well, one of them was, um, uh, kind of what Chris was saying with top water, that would be another advantage of using monofilament. So I don't use a lot of top water that I let sit for a long time. And if I did, I probably would use monofilament or at least a monofilament leader with them because braid sinks and it's going to, you know, kind of be a crappy presentation. If you've ever fished with me, you know, I like to throw, if I'm throwing top water, I'm throwing something that's moving. Does it? I thought braid sink sinks. Pretty sure um, floats, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, that's no, you're right. So you're you're exactly right. So braid floats, mono floats, um, fluorocarbon sinks. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I didn't talk about though with monofilament would be um, uh, the uh, pound test. So on a spinning reel of that size you that. Talked about that. I did. I talked about it a little. No, I talked about it a little bit when I was talking about braid because we were talking about the differences in uh, diameter. But a, a spinning reel would be six to ten pound test, um, and then a bait caster would usually I like on my crankbait right. I throw like fifteen pound test on there. If you were wanting a bigger like presentation with monofilament you know you could obviously go bigger but you start getting monofilament is the biggest diameter line for the pound test so you start getting into like anchor rope looking stuff uh if you get real real big so you know i usually run like my crankbait right like i said 15 pound test if you're throwing like big swim baits or something and you wanted to use monofilament you'd probably use you know 20 25 pound test or whatever so uh moving into fluorocarbon so fluorocarbon um, Chris, did you talk about the qualities of fluorocarbon, how it reflects light? Did you, did you touch no, on that? I, did, I figured we, I figured we would talk about that kind of in, uh, comparison and contrast to the monofilament. So. Yeah. So, so fluorocarbon is the newest of the three, uh, types of line, or I guess the technology. Um, I don't know exactly how long it's been around, but I remember when I was probably in high school, it started kind of getting popular, um, but the whole like quality of fluorocarbon that made it attractive is that it has a property where it uh, reflects the color of the water or the light around it back, and it, it kind of disappears in the water. So it is the least visible of all three lines in the water. Um, so it's not just that it's translucent, it's actually reflecting that light somehow back out and it's it's basically if you ever drop a piece of fluorocarbon in the water it literally like it looks like it disappears um yeah. uh, it's not completely yeah. yeah 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 and it sinks um the big downside to fluorocarbon when it first came out was 
Well, one, it's really expensive. It's still really, it's the most expensive line that I buy. Like, and that's one reason I don't use it as a primary line. I only use it as a leader. The other thing is when it first came out, it was very, very like high memory. So it would create, it would keep loops in it. And it almost made it impossible to put it on a full reel and cast it like you would like braid or monofilament. Um, so a lot of guys use it as, as leader material. Now, as technology has gotten better and better, there are really good casting fluorocarbons out there. So there's a lot of guys that use fluorocarbon as their primary line nowadays, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but for me, I still use it as a leader, and that's primarily for me like a cost thing because the I the use... Cost, and it's also, it's still, in my opinion, and I'll just back you up a little bit, I still think it's less castable. I still do. I haven't and used I like really high end stuff, so I don't know. I just know what guys say. I, I mean, I have, and I I still think it's less castable. I mean, you know, especially com- in comparison to braid. I, I I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I'm not using the. Maybe I've never used the right stuff or whatever. It's definitely possible, but especially for what you know, somebody who's just getting into this. You know, at the 101 level, the type of fluorocarbon that you're going to want to buy you know you're not going to want to run a full spool of fluorocarbon it'll yeah. probably be more cost effective and i think you'll have better performance by just running a, a braid set up with a, a liter of fluorocarbon so yeah and that's what you know kind of transitioning into it that's what i use fluorocarbon for is liter material um so it's not that much different than what chris is doing with it it's just uh at the end of the line. Now, I'm not going to get into a big deal about uh, knots because we could have a whole episode on knots if we wanted to. Yeah, I use a uni knot, um, and then uh, so for all my, you know, tying my lures directly in my line, I'm using a uni knot, and then for tying two lines together, I use a uni two uni knot, which is basically like two mini uni knots that come together, and there's there's a lot of guys that debate like oh this the polymer knot or this knot's better that knot's better. okay fine uh the reason i tie uni knot is because i can tie it with my eyes closed and i've tied it hundreds of thousands of times frozen hands. <laughs> hands in the dark yeah yeah and it, it and it and it's a reliable knot is it like the best proven knot probably not but it, it ranks up there i know a lot of guys use it and that's what i learned to tie when i was a kid so um, yeah. Well, the other thing to think about is like why we do liters of fluorocarbon. Oh, yeah. And well, think, yeah, and, the, and that that it can be explained as just visibility. I yeah, mean, yeah. And um, so I would say, uh, what you would say, conventional wise, ninety percent of the year, um, I'm using a, a fluorocarbon leader. Um, it there's the, a the mustard the mustard stain on the water you know, where it doesn't matter and the fish aren't going to be able to see it anyways, you know, you're, you're using like a bait that, you know, is like a wake bait or like a, you know, or a big spinner bait and there's, you know, stain on the water or whatever. The reason that you, you know, you want to have that distance between your bait and where you have visible line. So, you know, a smallmouth is looking at essentially a fish swimming and there's nothing that he can see within nine feet, you know, seven feet, eight feet that would spook him. Yeah. And there's uh, a, there, know, there's a couple, the braid, si- the monofilament are visible. there's a couple situations where I don't usually or top water 
I don't use a leader. Um, so like a buzz bait or a whopper plover or something like that, I'm not using a leader because the water, the line's never going down in the water. Um, yep. Muddy conditions, that sort of thing, I don't use it. Um, there's probably, if it's for me, just because I'm used to having a leader on most of the time, if, if it's like borderline, I, I just default to using a leader just because I, and I use about... So but the other reason for the one more thing, the, the one one reason for using the top water, you know, not using a lever on the top water is because it would sink. Uh, yeah, that it would sink. It would start sinking your bait. Yeah, like say if you're fishing like a a, there a you know spook, or you know something like that on top water, that fluorocarbon, you know, that seven eight feet of fluorocarbon, will start to sink, and that in turn will change the action of your top water presentation. Like if you've got four feet of line in the water right in front of your topwater bait, it's going to create some funky action on your bait. You know, when you go to walk the dog, it's going to bury the front end of your spook or your sammy or whatever, and it's not going to swim right. So yeah, that that's true. Um, and another quality, by the way, of fluorocarbon that it actually is very abrasion resistant. Um, it's next yes. next to braid from a abrasion resistant standpoint. Um, now a couple things here, a leader for me, it, typically a longer leader for the clear water. That's kind of like a, uh, you know, rule of thumb. So the clearer the water, the longer the leader. Um, but I usually just have like a standard leader. And what I do is I pull off two arm widths of line. That's what I do. And that ends up being about like, what like six, foot, six yeah six foot seven foot something like that so i don't not like arm stretch so i pull like two like shoulder width deals and that's yeah it's usually about six foot a line or so um and that for me is like a good like i don't even have to think about it i pull off you know those two like little pulls off of it i you know cut it off tight tight with my unit uni knot and i'm good to go um now here's something very very important though to if you don't take anything from this podcast take this if you're tying a knot with fluorocarbon it is extremely vulnerable to to not burn um so and what that means is like if you're tying a knot and you pull it tight without lubricating it so we are all about lubrication on this podcast always use always use <laughs> <Very> lubrication <laughs> yeah pro pro lubrication. pro lubrication and i use my mouth and that's the best lubricant it's natural <laughs> so we're gonna lubricate the knot we're gonna put it all up in your mouth we're gonna spit all over it and then we are not gonna there's two things you don't want to like on a knot, you know, on a uni knot, you tie, kind of tie a knot and then you slide the knot down. So you don't want to cinch the knot before you slide it down. Because if you cinch the knot, you can lubricate all you want. It's gonna, it's gonna burn that doggy right up when you pull that down. Um, but if you, so you want to kind of leave it about three quarters tight before you pull it down and lubricate it, and usually that'd be fine. And then my last kind of safety check of it, I grab my lure. I wrap my line around my hand, my other hand, and I pull it twice really tight, like sim simulating like a fish pulling on it. And if it doesn't snap, it's good. Are you, set, are you setting the hook? 
Yeah, exactly. Or, or you setting the hook. <laughs> That's because yeah. Josh sets the hook like, I don't know, Bill Dance in his prime. So, <laughs> Hell yeah. Like literally, uh, Josh does a, a jump hook set. Like in, in my raft, I literally feel the raft come up out of the water. <laughs> Because Josh has jumped into the air to set the hook. Dude, yeah, you never know when you might have a big one on the end of the line. And, you know, you got to drive that thing through a piece of cartilage or something, you know? You just don't know. Um, Absolutely, dude. What what, what uh, pound test are you using? And give, and give us a brand. So, I that fluorocarbon is something, the more you spend on it, it's a big, big difference in quality. Um, I used to try to use, like, I messed around with Seaguar uh, Invisix and Red Label. Red Label, I'm sorry, guys, it sucks. So if you're using Red Label, you're losing fish. Like, unless you set the hook very daintily. Um, Invisix is okay, um, but I still had issues with that. I've settled on, after using a bunch of different kinds, um, I use um, Sunline FC Sniper. in uh, uh, that's a very specific, it's a very expensive, it's about $25 a spool. But if you're only using it as leader material, like I go through maybe one spool a season, if that. Um, I Unless use. you drop one in the water, and like we said, the <laughs> carbon does sink. Yes, I have done that before. You've never seen it again. <laughs> uh, uh, so I use 12-pound for my spinning setups and 15-pound for my bait casting setups. So that's... Yeah. As simple as it gets right there. And that's probably a little heavy for a spinning setup. A lot of guys will be like, oh, he's 8 or 10. But for me, my rationale is like, you can't see it um, anyways. So you might as well, you know, bump up a little bit. Um, So that's the quick and dirty of it. Um, The biggest thing, though, to to take out of that, though, seriously, if you're tying knots with fluorocarbon, lubricate and then test your knot. Is I cannot tell also, you. Like, Go ahead. And the, the other thing is, like for fluorocarbon, is uh, it's. I guess if you had to use it in one situation, it would most likely be uh, clear water. You know, the water's clearing, and especially for something that the the smallmouth is going to be looking at for a minute before he eats it. So you know, especially with finesse presentations, you know, on the bottom. A lot of times a smallmouth won't come over and just eat it right away like they do with a moving crankbait with a topwater presentation or something like that. You know, when you're fishing finesse, the, the bait or the fly is sitting on the bottom, and a lot of times a smallmouth will nose up to it, stare at it, think about it, eat it. And that's not the time when you want a visible line yeah on that lure yeah and some guys will argue that point they'll say you know fish don't yeah fish don't get uh spooked by your line and they might be right yeah up to a certain extent if if nothing else for a mental thing i mean and like another thing is like a suspending is another you know a lot of times you'll see smallmouth come out yeah measure it observe it eat it you know so you know those types are fluke even sometimes but uh you know, in those situations where a smallmouth is going to be looking at your bait for more than one second, that's when I think you want fluorocarbon on there. So, yeah, I I, um, I 100% agree with that. Um, so yeah, that's that's really fluorocarbon wise. That's all th- that really kind of wraps up my uh, conventional uh, summary. What else do you have, Chris, with fly stuff? So one thing that I didn't really think about with regard to leaders, I talked about how they're tapered. 
So one thing that you can do, uh, you know, is look up how to tie the knots and you can, you can YouTube this, but if you want to save some money, you know, buying fly leaders is very expensive. Um, so what you can do is tie your own. So I have like a 30, 20 and 12, you know, 30, 20, 12, uh, or 30, 20, 13 or what, you know, 14, whatever, uh, like spools of line, like actual conventional line. It's just way cheaper to buy it that way. So I tie my own leaders. That's one thing to think about. Um, and the other thing is, like, I, we didn't really discuss the difference between leader and tippet. So tippet, essentially, like, when you're out there fishing all day, you're biting off your fly, you know, you're changing your flies, you're, you know, you get broken off or whatever. What tippet is, it's another spool of line that will allow you to extend out your fly leader material like a sacrificial sacrificial into it so you can consume it it's like a gecko's tail yeah so it'll just keep growing back so that way you don't have to tie on a new fly leader every single time that you you know break off you know every single time that you lose three feet of line you don't have to break into your fly leaders and tie on a new one you know you can just tie on a little bit more tippet material so that's why I only buy like zero X tippet and every single time I go out, you know, I take a zero X of nylon tippet and I take a zero X of fluorocarbon or I take a 12 pound spool of fluorocarbon and a 12 pound spool of, of monofilament. So that way you can just kind of keep tying on to the end and you still have that tapered leader up to, you know, your fly, uh, where your fly's at. So, yeah. That's one um, thing. Go ahead. So for, for fluorocarbon for us, um, I do on occasion, like especially on my intermediate fly line, or if it's a rod that I know I'm always going to be running um, bottom on. So like, you know, at the beginning of the year when you haven't broken a fly rod and you've got, you know, you, or, or if you go out and you know for sure that you're, they're going to be on bottom or whatever, I will run straight mo- or straight fluorocarbon in that situation. So I'll have 30 pound fluorocarbon, 20 pound fluorocarbon, and then you know 12 to 14 pound fluorocarbon. You know, so three foot section of 30 pound, three pu- three foot section of 20 pound, and then you know I might go a little bit longer, like four or five feet of uh, 12 to 14 pound fluorocarbon. And that just all of that fluorocarbon. You know, that 30, 20, 12-pound fluorocarbon, instead of just tying on the last three feet onto a monofilament leader, that just gives you a little bit more stealthiness, I think. A little bit, you know, um, you know, you don't have one of your pieces of fly line is up, one of your fly, piece, fly pieces is down. So, you know, I, I don't know. It, only, only in a situation where I know for sure that this rod is going to be fished on bottom all day, or this rod is going to be fished in the middle of the water column, you know, if that's in that situation, I'll do straight fluoro. Uh, otherwise, you know, when I'm waiting or if I've got, you know, I'm not that worried about it, I'll do six foot of monofilament. And then, you know, my last three to four feet, I'll put fluorocarbon on. So, but size wise, it's about the same, you know, zero X, one X or 12 to 14 pounds, you know, would be your termination point and then it should still have a 30 20 pound you know three foot of 30 pound right up by the fly line and then your middle section should be like 20 pounds to three feet hmm. 
Yeah, that's good stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's summarize real quick. For so one thing I wanted to say, separate from the technical stuff with the line, is I feel like a line is probably the number one way that um, fishermen uh, pollute. Uh, if I there's nothing more infuriating than seeing big spools of line like up on the bank or right. tied to something. Here's a little recommendation. Well, first, don't be a piece of shit. So, like, <laughs> clean up after yourself. It's common sense. But something to help you out, because line does, is kind of hard to manage when you, like, you know, get a bird's nest or you have to cut off a bunch or whatever. Um, I usually take, like, a, um, like a, for my lunch container, if it's a Ziploc bag or a water bottle or something, and I'll designate that as, like, where I put all my line for the day. And at the end of the day, I just throw it away. So, something. Do what I do on that. This is a good tip. I just stuff it into the biggest smallmouth's mouth. Like, all of that extra line. <laughs> you could do that too. Into their mouth. One of them that you've that clubbed. The river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, that's a great, great advice, Chris. Um, Thank you. Uh, so, so yeah, don't be a piece of shit. Throw away. Clean up after yourself. The to summarize the conventional stuff though, spinning setups, twenty pound, eight strand which I use super slick power pro braid with a six foot, um, uh, six foot fluorocarbon leader. Most of the time on a, a, a spinning setup. Um, and I use 12 pound FC sniper, uh, sunline FC sniper, um, fluorocarbon, the bait casting setup. I'm going to use 30 pound, um, regular power pro braid, with uh sometimes with a leader sometimes with not um, but i would use a 15 pound fluorocarbon leader there crankbait rod which is always a casting setup i use straight monofilament 15 pound um and then the only other exception would be the medium heavy kind of setup i use and i use 40 pound braid on that um and i rarely would use a leader on my medium heavy setup because if i'm using that it's usually like a big spinnerbait or something that's muddier water so i rarely use leaders on my medium heavy so that's just to give you a you know breakdown of what what i was recommending i use a uni knot uh for the direct tie uni to uni for uh, uh leaders so that's about it what about you chris so uh I use 90, well, probably on two thirds of my rods, I use a floating line. Um, and then, you know, if I'm fishing subsurface, um, I go uh, either six foot of monofilament to at least a four to five foot uh, section of uh, fluorocarbon. Uh, and then if I'm fishing top water, I just use a 1X or 0X liter, you know, nine foot at least, um, just of monofilament. And then if I'm fishing, you know, kind of in the middle of the water column or if I'm fishing all day and I know that this rod is only going to be used for the middle of the water column or at the very bottom, then I use um, 30 feet, or I'm sorry, 30 pounds uh, fluorocarbon for three feet, 20 pound fluorocarbon for three feet, and then I use 12 to 14 pound fluorocarbon for four to five feet. Um, you know, that's a good kind of uh, formula there. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, but yeah, I think we went. <laughs> we're over. An, we're almost an hour and a half <laughs> on just line. Uh, Dude, I, this, good I, God! This <laughs> nah, <so> sorry. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 it's, 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 it's doing it not together. 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not bad though. It's honestly it's informative. So, uh, I mean, think about this is really valuable for you guys who are just kind of getting started, discovering the podcast. This is stuff that took us honestly. It took us years to learn, um, and. You know, if you're some guy that's, you know, fished a bunch and you have different opinions than us on this stuff, like, feel free to message us, point some stuff out. But I think a lot of this is opinion. It definitely was helpful last time. I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, there's definitely things that. That's stuff we need to fix. There's there's definitely times when, like, we have um, been wrong. So, not very often. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, we're just talking, too. I mean, that's the other thing. It's not like you have a script or. Right. taking the time to write a book i mean this is like you know kind of off the cuff so there might be some things that might you know be slightly wrong or whatever but yeah point them out thanks everybody for the feedback uh truly and thanks for listening and uh as always you know free the fighter free the fighter buddy